Good morning. Sometimes it's difficult to ask the tough questions. And one of the toughest questions you can ask is, why does God allow us to suffer? There are a lot of people that like to avoid that question because, well, first of all, it's a really good question. (laughs) But it's a very difficult question to answer. It's not impossible, but it's difficult to answer because the answer is difficult. Not so much because we don't know the truth, it's that we really don't want to know the truth about suffering. You see, first of all, one of the things I learned growing up, not in a non-denominational church, but in a denominational church, I I learned early on, and this is one of the things that I think, if, if you grew up going to a Catholic church or an Episcopalian church, you probably have heard and are probably very familiar with and acquainted with, and it's this. Well, one of the things that churches, more traditional churches, do a very good job at is making it clear suffering is a part of life. I know that that's something we don't want to hear, but it's true. And if you, if you have gone to Christian churches where we don't talk about suffering or we don't talk about difficulty, we try to paint a picture where everything's just wonderful. The problem with that is when suffering comes, your faith begins to fail, or at, at, very, at the very least, it becomes severely tested. So it's important that we, you know, recognize that, that suffering is a part of life, talk about it, address those issues as they come up in God's Word, because otherwise we're going to be wholly unprepared for life, because life is filled with suffering. Now, this isn't a bummer of a message, okay? I'm not here to, to depress anyone. But as we go through the scripture today, I want you to remember this. How much suffering is at the center of Christianity? First of all, it starts with a suffering Savior. Amen? And we know he suffered. He did not deserve to suffer. If anyone who ever lived didn't deserve to suffer, it was Christ. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So we start right there. But we know that his suffering brought about our redemption. God redeemed us through suffering. Can I hear an amen? He redeemed us through suffering. But God also redeems our suffering. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us today. As we open our hearts to address this difficult topic, we want to know the truth. We want to be encouraged in your word. We want to grow in the knowledge of your word. And by the power of your spirit, we simply ask, even as we prepare our hearts to receive communion today, that we would submit ourselves to whatever it is you have called us to endure, knowing that your scripture is filled with examples of good and godly men and women who were called to suffer for your purposes, starting with, and most especially, your son Jesus. Lord, we don't ask for suffering. We don't desire to suffering, uh, to suffer. We don't pray for suffering. Uh, We don't look for it, but we understand that as we experience suffering in this life, we have to find you redeeming those experiences that you might bring glory to yourself and blessings to each and every one of us. And we ask that you would help us in that way to do that very thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in Acts chapter 9. We're going to finish out the chapter today. We've been talking about the conversion of Saul the Apostle, or Paul, excuse me, Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. And As we looked at that, we now switch gears, and we're going to follow Peter, the Apostle Peter, just a little bit, because the the book of Acts 
sort of gives us the direction that the church was called to go in by the Holy Spirit. And as I've said, it's probably properly named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about Paul, we talk about Peter, we talk about James, we talk about these individuals. But really the whole point, it isn't even to follow the ministry of Paul so much. It's to explain to us how the Holy Spirit worked in the first century church. So Paul features prominently, Peter does as well. As we pick it up in chapter 9, verses 32 through, we'll just look at verses 32 through 34, we are first told in verse 32 that as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints or the separated ones, the ones who were separate. He went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. And immediately Aeneas, Aeneas, excuse me, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now that story is a happy ending. Eight years in. Seven and a half years, seven and three quarters years into that account. There's not a happy ending. There's just suffering. So if you look at it in in its context, you have to recognize that this is a story or an account about a healing, yes, but it's also an account in the Bible about a man who suffered for eight years. So let's look at this a little bit more closely. Peter healed a paralytic named Aeneas while he was visiting the saints in Lydda. Now, Peter was traveling throughout Judea. Remember, the gospel was to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, Peter's in Judea, where he was led of the Spirit to visit a city or a a village called Lydda. Now, Lydda, or Lod, it's sometimes referred to, is 22 miles northwest of Jerusalem, and it's about 165 feet above the Mediterranean Sea. It is, or was, located on the plain of Sharon, uh, which is a very fertile plain, a beautiful area. In fact, it was surrounded by gardens and orchards. Now, much of Israel has been restored agriculturally today over the last hundred years. But at the time that Peter visited, this was a paradise. It was a wonderful place to go. And Lydda may have been the home of saints that had fled the persecution in Jerusalem. Remember, we talked about it in chapter 8. The saints were persecuted in Jerusalem. Stephen was put to death. Saul was going around putting Christians into prison and having them arrested. So all of this is going on. And, you know, Peter's ministering outside Jerusalem as well. Uh, But many of the saints had left the area, understandably so. We've experienced that here in the Northeast. Uh, We've seen, we've prayed for many families over the last year and a half who left specifically because as a blue state, it is difficult and challenging to be a Christian here. And some of the restrictions and mandates and overreach on the part of our government have made it almost intolerable at times, maybe not at the moment, thank God, intolerable at times to be a freedom-loving American. And so many of our fellowship family have moved west, California. I just heard from a family who contacted me just last night via email. Hadn't seen them in a while, wondering why. Well, they're in California on their way to move to Florida. They're having a home built in Florida. Uh, so when I thought about them moving from Jersey to California, I said, probably not going to be less restrictive. But that's just because they have family there while they have their home built in Florida, which, of course, we all know is now the promised land. <laughs> Except in the summer 
<laughs> when it's probably more like wandering in the wilderness, the heat at least. So anyway, a lot of people moving out of the area. We had a family move to Missouri. Uh, we've had families move south, uh, North Carolina. So we know about people leaving the area. Now, it wasn't for persecution or, or those things, but people sometimes leave because it's easier to live somewhere else. Now, please, I mean, listen, I'm stuck here because the Lord has called me here, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I love New Jersey. I don't want to go anywhere. I'm happy here. But some of you, you know, are thinking about it. We understand that. But I'm just going to say pray, okay? Because you don't want to go somewhere the Lord isn't leading you, all right? But as people leave, we pray for them, and we recognize they're in another place. That's fine. What Peter is doing, think about it, right? A lot of the people he fellowshiped with, a lot of his friends and fellowship family, have moved out of the area. So I think what drove Peter to to visit these areas is that he knew people there, and it says specifically he went to visit the saints. Well, how did he know saints in, in Lydda? Because they were living in Jerusalem until recently. So he's going to these places to visit the people he was ministering to until the persecution came. All right? So it's not so much a missions trip. He's going to visit people he loves. And so as he does this, uh, we know that this was a place, that, Lydda was a place that Philip may have even ministered, because we know that in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, Philip was building up churches all along the coast and on his way to Caesarea. So the, the church may have been even planted or, or ministered to by Philip, but Peter knew a lot of people there. Now this man, Aeneas, whose name means praiseworthy, Does that seem ironic to you? Praiseworthy? If you were bedridden for eight years, could they call you praiseworthy? Well, you see, the truth is, it's not so much a name that distinguishes Aeneas as it it distinguishes God. That God is praiseworthy in suffering is an important lesson we need to remember today. So Aeneas is an example of a man who could still praise God though he was suffering greatly. I think you would agree with me that being bedridden for eight years is, is uh, a legitimate description would be severe suffering. Some of you have been in hospital beds over the last year and a half. Some of you have experienced severe suffering. Some of you have had loved ones experience severe suffering. So it's not too much to say that it's at least a challenge to praise God in our suffering, not for our suffering, but in our suffering. I don't think it's a mistake that Aeneas' name means praiseworthy. He was paralyzed. He'd been bedridden for eight years. And here's the rub. Here's the problem. The Lord allowed him to suffer for almost a decade before Peter found him. Why hadn't Jesus healed this man already? Jesus, not, not Peter. Jesus. If he had been around for eight years... Why not? Why hadn't Jesus healed this man? Why hadn't someone else healed this man? Well, first of all, he wasn't in Jerusalem. Aeneas was from Lydda, more than likely never uh, lived in Jerusalem. But these Christians now are sort of forced out by persecution into a place where this man lived. And the Christians bring Peter, and Peter brings the healing power of the Holy Spirit. And so this man, as we've seen already, is healed. So, had this man been healed, none of what we're reading today would have happened. Keep that in mind. Jesus said aloud, even ordained, that this man would not be healed until this very moment. 
Now, Jesus has the power to heal, but he also has the authority to choose not to heal. Now, I remember when I first became a Christian in the 80s, there were pastors and churches that suggested not only that God had the power to heal, which we certainly believe, but that if you ask God to heal, he had no choice but to heal you unless, of course, you didn't have enough faith. So it became a question of either you were healed because God really wanted to heal you, or even though God really didn't want, or really did want to heal you, you weren't healed because you really didn't want to be healed. Now think about that message for a minute. How horrific a message is that to a person who's not healed? Basically, the person comes to church with hope, and they leave in despair. Because not only weren't they healed, which a majority, I think, of people who, who look for healing are not. Let's be honest. I'm just looking at the experience that I've had in life. Sometimes people are healed, but many times they're not. Most of the time they're not. Think about those people going home from that Sunday service or Saturday night service. They came in thinking, God's going to heal me. I have the faith to believe it. And then they come forward and they go through a whole circus and song and dance and they're not healed. And they go home thinking, not even God will heal me. I know God can heal me, but he won't heal me. Or they think he would heal me if I was just good enough, if I just had enough faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to say something very strong. I know you're surprised, you're shocked. That is a doctrine of demons. The horrific pain that we inflict on people when we lie to them about things like that. It's untold. I can't even begin to imagine how many people just just became completely despondent and living in despair because they were lied to about the healing power of God. It's true. God can heal anyone, but he doesn't heal everyone. Well, Look at uh, a scripture that I want to point out to you. Just one verse. It's in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 9. We studied it many months ago now. But uh, one of the things that happened, there was a man who was born blind, and the disciples were trying to figure out, why was the man born blind? Was it his, his father and mother's sin? You know, did the sin trickle down to the children? Was he being punished for his parents' sin or something he did? But he was born blind, so what could he have done, Right? Well, Jesus answered in verse 3 of chapter 9 by saying, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Born blind, Jesus? Born blind? And you're telling me that this this happened so that the work of God could be displayed in his life? I'm going to ask you again, Christians, does God use suffering? Does he even ordain it? You see, that's the hard truth. We, we like to ask the question, well, if God is a loving God, why does he allow suffering? Then we get the answer. We don't like the answer. I don't like the answer. But that's the answer that the scripture gives us. So back to our account. The wonderful part about this account is that Peter healed Aeneas, or at least God healed Aeneas through Peter. Uh, you have to remember here that Peter had watched Jesus heal I don't know, is it fair to say thousands? At least hundreds. He had seen it over and over and over again, and now he's filled with the Spirit, and God has told him that he's called to do this as an apostle. 
There's a purpose in him bringing healing to many people, and he does. And this isn't the first time, and it's not the last time, but, but Peter spoke to him, and he spoke to him just as Jesus had spoken to others. See, that's what I love when you look at the ministry of Peter. You see Jesus' fingerprints all over it. It's amazing because look what he says. Does this sound familiar? Jesus Christ heals you, heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does. Because that's what Peter learned by watching Jesus, by being with Jesus. He learned how God works and how to act and what to say. Now, he acted in faith. Peter acted in faith. You have to have faith to say what Peter said. And not just a faith like, yeah, I believe. It's supernatural faith. But remember, this is the man that had enough faith to get out of the boat and walk on water. Until he freaked out a little bit. Can't blame him for that. When's the last time you walked on water? Well, you see, the thing is, Peter acted in faith, but the Holy Spirit acted in power. Peter received the gift of faith. It is a spiritual gift. And the man received the gift of healing. And we see that work of the Spirit in this man's life. Aeneas was immediately and completely healed. Peter didn't need to pray or to anoint him with oil, which we see often, which is okay. I mean, there's a point to that, which we talk about when we study James. Uh, It's a little bit more medicinal than spiritual, but just the same. He didn't anoint him with oil. He didn't pray. He didn't even need to pray for him. He just said, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter didn't even need to touch him for him to be healed. Because God heals however he desires to heal. Amen? So when we see those circus acts where they bring people up and they push people over and they do all kinds of things and wave handkerchiefs over them, just remember that that is a doctrine of demons. Am I harsh? Yes. Should I be? Absolutely. Because too many lives have been hurt by those charlatans who make money off of people by promising them things and writing checks they can't cash. Let's move on. So the Lord's miraculous healing of Aeneas caused all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon to turn to the Lord. (gasps) Let's go back to that definition that Jesus gave us. What did he say to his apostles? This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You see, the work of God is about to be displayed in the life of every person in this area because a man suffered for eight years. Now, I know what you're thinking, because if you're like me, you think, well, why did it have to be eight years? Could it have been like a day? Why did it have to be eight years? I don't know, but it was eight years of being paralyzed, and it was horrific for this man. We love the Bible story. Look, look, Peter healed the man. If you were the man, you, you would probably feel differently. You would be looking at this story the way we're looking at it today. Not so much of the healing, but of the suffering that brought the healing or brought about the healing. And you see, that's where God does his best work, through suffering. Oh, I don't even like to say it. I don't even like to say that as a pastor. But as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have to be honest and say he does his best work through suffering. I know that in my own life. I don't like it, but it's true. And if you're honest with yourself today, you'll agree. So, I love blessings. I love miracles. But there ain't one person who ever experienced a miracle who didn't have a severe problem. Are you with me? This one lasted eight years. And the Spirit used Aeneas' suffering and his healing to bring salvation to the entire area. And all those who witnessed this miraculous healing turned to Jesus. Listen, listen. Had Aeneas not suffered, there would not have been a miracle, and there would not have been any converts. 
Let's get on to the next account. This one's a little different, but it addresses the same subject in many ways. In Joppa, verse 36 of Acts chapter 9, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated, uh, which when translated is Dorcas, I would have went with Tabitha, it's much prettier, who was always doing good and helping the poor. And about that time she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was so near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Well, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room and Then he got down on his knees and prayed, and turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up, and he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet, and then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll look at the account of what happens when Peter's staying there. But another account of suffering, although this one's not eight years. But this one isn't just suffering. This is death. And, and that's the thing. Like you, it, you might suffer for eight years, and that's pretty bad. That's really bad, actually. But this precious sister in the Lord died. So, this is an account of Peter raising a woman named Tabitha from the dead after he's urged to come to Joppa. All of this is happening at the same time. I don't think this is a mistake. This is the Spirit's leading. But it's also the Spirit's teaching us to look at suffering properly through the right lens, to look at it as it really should be looked at, that God is working all things for good. That in our lives and in the lives of those that suffer or even die, that the mighty works of God might be displayed in their lives, in our lives. Now, Tabitha or or Dorcas, her name, by the way, in either language, Aramaic or Greek, Tabitha is Aramaic, Dorcas is Greek, uh, it means gazelle. Gazelle, it's a pretty name. Uh, But she had just recently become sick and died. This was sudden. She was a disciple who is faithful in doing good and helping the poor and needy. And you might be thinking, well, why would God allow this person to die? If you're like me, that's what you're thinking. There's a lot of miserable, rotten people, even some Christians who are probably more deserving of dying than this woman, and yet she dies. What's this all about? Well, I think her name seems to indicate she was incredibly industrious. You don't call someone who's lazy gazelle. Have you ever seen a gazelle? Okay. I mean, maybe not up close unless you went to a zoo. You probably have seen it on Animal Planet or one of the channels that that show these things. Gazelles, they know how to move. So anyway, I think she was incredibly industrious. She was known for her consistency and her charitable work. And the Lord allowed her to become sick and to die right around the time that Peter was in Lydda. Listen, brothers and sisters, listen. listen. No amount of faith or good works can prevent sickness or death. See, that's another lie from the pit of hell. 
I'm really good. I'm doing all the things that God asked me to do. Therefore, nothing bad's going to happen to me. Or this idea that I have the faith. I'm going to believe nothing is going to happen to me that would be terrible or suffer. I'm just going to believe by faith. And I know God will honor my faith and nothing bad will ever happen to me. Those are the little lies we tell ourselves along with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. If you still believe in those kinds of things. Or if you believe the CDC. So here's the thing. You know I have to. You know. I mean, <clears throat> I think I'd rather I put more faith in Santa Claus than the Easter Bunny. But here's what I know. I, I, I know that the, the, the truth is that I can say I have faith and believe something, but that doesn't make it true. You need a proper biblical understanding of suffering if you're going to get through this life as a Christian, and it needs to not be about you. You need to be able to kind of say, well, whatever I go through in this life, if God is using it to display his miraculous work in my life, then I may not like it, I may not ask for it, I may pray every day for it to end, but I have to accept that it's God's hand. Oh, maybe I wasn't good enough. That has nothing to do with it. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. If it were possible for you to have enough faith to prevent suffering, why did Christ suffer? Mic drop. Okay. Now, only a miraculous work of God can heal someone or raise them from the dead. You got that, right? Only a miraculous work of God. Her body had been prepared for burial and placed in an upstairs room. I mean, this thing is over by most people's standards. But the disciples, think about the disciples, the disciples, followers of Christ, they sent two men to Peter. Why? They would not have done that if they didn't think that, hey, you know what? God can do anything. They sent two men to Peter and Lydda to urge him to come to Joppa immediately. Now, Joppa was 30 miles northwest of Jerusalem on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It was a seaport town. It was located on a sandy point between Caesarea and Gaza. Again, a very nice area to be in. But Joppa was just nine miles from Lydda, where Peter was staying. And the disciples knew Peter was there. So they had enough faith in God. And they had the faith to believe that God could use Peter to raise Tabitha from the dead. Now, don't tell me these people didn't have enough faith. Oh, you see, Pastor, it was their faith that brought about this resurrection. No, it was God's miraculous power. But the faith that these disciples had is not only inspirational, but is also a gift from God. It's not something you earn. You can't drum up that kind of faith. You know, when when you first, when you become a Christian, you start to pray, you know, you you scrunch your eyes. You think like, if you, maybe this is just me. If I, if I scrunch my eyes and, and, and and fold my hands really tight and like my shoulders and put it like, that's going to somehow, this is going to, this is going to work. This is going to work. And we get into this very childish way of thinking. It's beautiful in children, not so beautiful in adults, that somehow we have anything to do with God answering prayer. Yes, God answers prayer, but according to his will, which basically means he was going to do it anyway. So what's the point of you praying? So you can get with God. So you can get with God's program. So you can be on the same page with God. And that's what we want. But please don't give yourself that much credit. Please don't think, oh, I know why so-and-so, you know, was saved. It was because I prayed. No, it's because God did it. You prayed. That's great. That means you're in sync with God. 
Pastor, we shouldn't pray. I didn't say that. You want to be in sync with God. But don't give yourself the power you don't have. And that is to heal the dead or heal the sick and raise the dead. That's a God thing. Everything's a God thing. Getting people saved is a God thing. So what do you do? You pray. Why do you pray? So you can be in sync with God. So you can be in agreement with what the Holy Spirit is doing. So you can be a part of the process that God is doing. But it's still God. Let's give him all the glory. Amen? And so they had the faith. And so they immediately sent messengers to bring Peter to Joppa before they buried Tabitha. Because the guys knew once she's buried, I mean, you know. Although that didn't stop Lazarus, did it? God can do anything. Can I hear an amen? Well, Joppa may have also been the home of saints that had fled the persecution in Jerusalem. I'm sure it was. And again, Philip may have ministered there as well. So this is, this is a place Peter would probably have gotten to eventually. But now they're saying, Peter, you need to leave Lydda. You need to come to Joppa. You're not going to believe what happened. And he does, as we've read. So Peter traveled with these messengers to Joppa and raised Tabitha from the dead. We, we've read the account. I mean, Peter's taken upstairs to the room where all the widows were mourning and They're looking at the body, and that's what we do, right, when we mourn the dead. It was their custom for widows and other women to mourn those that had died. They actually would come, and they would mourn, and they would oftentimes be paid for mourning. It was part of the process. And if you're familiar with Jewish culture, you know that this makes a little bit more sense. But they were paid, and they were desperate. They were, you know, this helped provide for their needs. But they would come, and they would cry, and they would mourn, and it would create a, an atmosphere of mourning. Because when you hear people cry, you tend to cry. And what they wanted to do is not create an emotion fest. It was the idea of helping people to purge the, the, the sorrowful emotions, to get closure, and to express how they feel. You see, that's okay, to express how you feel. So the widows would come in, they would legitimately cry, everyone would start to cry, and it was sort of like a a purging of emotions so we could move on. So it served a very good purpose, and then they would oftentimes pay the widows as well. So you see, this was not a terrible thing. So it's the custom. We may not be able to relate to it, but it was a custom and tradition that they followed. So that's what's going on. But notice what they also did. They also honored her by showing Peter all the clothing that she had made for them. Now that makes me cry. In death, this woman's testimony was that the most desperate, needy people of her community had something to praise about this woman. She clothed them. Widows in the ancient world were among the neediest people you could find. and She had used her abilities, skills, and talents to bless others. We have a missions trip going out just this week to do that within our own country in West Virginia and Appalachia. To help minister and clothe those who need it most. She saw clothing the poor as her service to Jesus. And didn't Jesus say, I was naked and you clothed me. Peter spoke to her just as Jesus had spoken to Jairus' daughter. If you're familiar with that account in Mark's and Luke's gospel. He dismissed the women. He basically follows Jesus' playbook. He dismissed the women that had come to mourn Tabitha. He knelt down and prayed this time for the Lord to raise her from the dead. And he said, Tabitha, get up. Jesus had said something very similar in his ministry. And she opened her eyes and saw Peter and she sat up and she took, he took her by the hand and helped her to his, her feet. It's just a beautiful picture of God's power. And then he calls the believers and the widows and presents her to them alive. Imagine 
how that mourning was turned to laughter. Those widows who were hired to mourn must have gotten everybody into a fit of joy. The joy that must have been in that room at that moment, having gone from the depths of despair to the heights of God's working in power, was probably immeasurable. And that's what God does through suffering as well. We experience that suffering. It doesn't get any lower. And then he blesses and works through it. And it turns around and we experience the heights of joy. There's sorrow in the evening, but there's joy in the morning. All of this teaches us something about suffering. Peter acted in faith again, but the Holy Spirit again acted in power. Peter received that gift of faith to do this, but he also received the gift of miraculous powers because the woman was dead. That's a miraculous work. We talk about miracles, that's a miracle. Now, Look at verse 42 again as we close. This became known all over Joppa. I'm sure it did, even without social media. And many people believed in the Lord. Now that's, that's amazing because the Lord's raising of Tabitha from the dead caused many people in Joppa to turn to the Lord. That's a familiar theme in this section. The Spirit used Tabitha's sickness, death, and her resurrection to bring salvation to many people. Many of those who heard about this miracle turned to Jesus. Had Tabitha not become sick, had she not died, they would not have experienced a miracle and there would not have been many converts. See, that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us in the book of Acts. He works through sickness. He works through death. And then Peter's led of the Spirit to stay in Joppa for several days with a tanner named Simon. And we'll see again in, in, the, in future studies, God has another work for Peter to do, a pretty amazing work. It's different, but it's still a work of the Spirit. As I ask uh, the worship team, actually Anthony's coming up, as I ask him to come up, uh, I want to end with a question because we're going to receive communion, which again remembers Christ's suffering for us. But as we're remembering Christ's suffering, let's remember that the suffering that Christ allows, he also redeems. Amen? The, the suffering Christ allows, he also redeems in and through our lives. Just like the suffering he experienced redeems us from sin and death. What suffering, sickness, or even tragedy does the Lord want to use in our lives? to save those around us. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a perspective on suffering by the power of your Spirit. Oh, Lord God, we don't desire it. We don't necessarily pray against it. We certainly don't pray for it. Lord, we ask that your will would be done in and through our lives. And had, had you not been willing to suffer for us, we'd be lost, dead in our trespasses and sins. And had you not allowed Aeneas to suffer and Tabitha to die, then all of those many, many people, many souls would not have been saved. And Lord, if you had not allowed many of us to go through the difficulty we've been going through or are going through or have gone through or will go through, we can't even begin to imagine what glorious works, works to your glory would not have been experienced by others in and through our lives.
Lord God, we now submit our hearts as we receive communion. We submit to you. We remember your suffering for us. We thank you for your redemption in and through it. But we ask that whatever suffering we're enduring or have endured or will endure, Lord, that it would be used for your glory and for the blessing of many to come to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.